welcome to our worship service to River of the Valley here this Sunday. If you're here, um, feel free to stay seated or if you want to warm up, you can stand as we begin to sing together. Let us worship the Lord.
Amen. Okay, we're going to enter into a little time again here with the Word before we jump into the sermon. This is from Isaiah 1, and you'll see why in one moment. But this is verses 16 and 17 of Isaiah 1. The prophet writes to us, Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes, and cease to do evil. Learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, and plead the widow's cause. I don't know about you, but I think there have been times in the past week when I haven't fully completed our mission that we can see here, and so uh, also, let's come before the Lord with honest hearts, uh, as we say, a time of confession, acknowledging that we, in before a holy and perfect God, have not always been holy and perfect ourselves. Let's be honest. Lord, grateful, gratefully, we come before you honestly. We don't need to pretend with you. You, you see all that we do and all that we do not do. So, Lord, we ask that you would receive now in the silence of this moment, anything that we um, have brought before, have brought with us today, uh, any sense of guilt, any sense of uh, feeling like we didn't do the right thing, particularly in this past week, in the ways that we have not sought justice or that we have even created injustice or oppression, in the ways that we have not always stood for those who needed advocacy, um, for instance, the fatherless or the widow's cause or, or anyone. What we ask now that you would hear our Hear the prayers of our hearts as we are honest before you. Amen. The next verse in Isaiah 1 says this. Come now. Let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. And though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. My friends, the good news of the gospel is that even though we have fallen short of that which God would have us do and to be, even though we have fallen short, that thanks to the blood of the lamb, thanks to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ and his resurrection, that we can be filled with the confidence that no matter what we've done, that stain is washed away by the sacrifice and the resurrection of Jesus. And we as the church get to proclaim that, that amazing grace, that beautiful good news each and every time we gather, that there is now nothing that separates us from the love of God. But before the Father in heaven, you are white as snow and that you have become like wool. Amen. So be it. God is good. We're going to read together today 1 Corinthians in the 7th chapter. 1 Corinthians in the 7th chapter. This is a letter, one of Paul's letters to one of the churches that he had started. A lot of the, what we call the New Testament in our Bibles, that, that last half of the scriptures, um, a lot of the writing that we find there are letters that this early church leader Paul wrote to the various churches that he had started. And as he, as he then, years later, was still influential in the communities that he had started, they would write to him. And, and this is an example where Paul, all throughout the letter, he, you can see him addressing questions 
you can imagine, for instance, the leaders of our church having some questions. They come together and we, and we sent a, a list of questions to someone we knew would have the answers. And then Paul would get those and he would write letters back to the churches. Okay, so this is from one of those letters. Again, the seventh chapter, I'm going to read verses 29 through 31. And it says this. What I mean, brothers and sisters, is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they do not. Those who mourn as if they did not. Those who are happy as if they were not. Those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep. Those who use things of this world as if not engrossed in them. For this world in its present form is passing away. The word of the Lord. Thanks be, thanks be to God. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. That's from a little later in this letter. Thanks to Handel and the Messiah, we have all of these words. But the, the feeling that we get of knowing that as a church that there is this last trumpet coming and it should influence how we see the present. A lot of people in our lives right now understand us to be on something like a cruise liner. That life is something like a cruise liner that we've gotten on and the destination is the ship. The destination is all the entertainment that we have now before us for the length of our cruise. For some of us, as many as 80, 90 years. We've jumped onto this cruise ship and, and all of the different musical offerings and all the feasts that we get to eat and all the fun that we get to have is the point of it all. Whereas Paul writes to the church, encouraging them to see life not as a cruise liner, but rather more like a cargo ship. <laughs> More like we've gotten onto this life, but we're going somewhere and we're, and we're looking forward to the destination where we are going to get off and then to be there. Something more like the cruises that would take before the airplanes would take you across the Atlantic. You'd get on a boat somewhere in Europe and you'd end somewhere in the new world and you would stay there. And Paul is trying to help us understand that there is, there is the very real trap for us to fall into in which we begin to see this world as if it was a cruise liner and everything that we have in this life is only to be enjoyed right now. There's nothing where we're going to, there's nothing where we're getting off and there's nothing we're looking forward to as more important even than what we are living right now. We took many trips to Mexico when I was in youth group. Uh, I grew up in Ojai. We took many trips down to Mexico with different organizations to help in various types of compassion ministries. And we, we had a church van. I can't remember the year, but it was, it was something like a mid-1980s Ford, huge, large van. We'd get to, every time we needed to use it, I remember my family, we needed to get to church early because it usually took my dad a good 20 minutes just to get the thing started again. 
to get, you know, get it warmed up and then it would die and you have to get it going again. He'd have to pump the gas a few times just to get this thing to continue actually turning over. Very affectionate van. So we go down to go down to Mexico, this this twenty passenger van, and there was the moment when we were coming back and you had to wait in a line forever. Have you ever been down to Mexico driving? Because when you have to come back, especially if you don't time it right, you could sit in a line of cars for like three hours trying to get back into the country. And he was sitting there and all of all of the youth in the van starting to grow restless. But we always got excited when it came to the point where you could see in the, in the road the huge, the huge markers that indicated you were about to cross from one country to the other. And there's this line of markers on the ground. If you've been there, you've seen this. But the fun thing was in this van, it was long enough that for a good two or three minutes, slowly the, the front part of the van would be in the United States and the back part of the van would still be in Mexico. And so for a good couple of minutes, we had this celebration as more and more of us finally got to make it into the country. For Christians, for all of us, it's as if we're in that van and, 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 and we're almost like we're picking up one foot and we're looking forward to put it down in the place where we are going. We're, we have one foot still in this world, but Paul's trying to help us see that our other foot, that other part of our body, we're actually already leaning in to where we are going. And too often what we do is, is we, we are so content of where we are on this cruise liner of a life. We're so content to just keep both of our feet planted here that we miss the perspective, and there's blessing with this that we'll get to, there's goodness that we'll get to, but we're missing also that we get to have one foot in the air already making its way. It's in the air already making its way into where we're going next, where we're going to be next, where we'll all be changed in a moment, in Augenblick, in the blink of an eye, and it's a mystery. See, the Corinthians had written to Paul about various matters, including what we see addressed here, marriage, particularly those people who had divorced and what's going to happen in the afterlife and all these sorts of questions. And Paul writes back essentially saying, your questions are wrong. I, I can hardly begin to answer your questions because you're very, the premises upon which you're, you're writing these questions is, is wrong. So there's a mystery involved here. And whenever you think about anything in this life, this mystery needs to be applied. And he's saying whether that has to do with uh, marriage, whether that has to do with why is there evil or pain in the world, uh, why, why are some people blessed and not, why is there happiness and not, um, or wha what do we do when we get a lot of stuff and we get money and, and wealth, and what, what is it we're supposed to do with the things that we have joy in this world. And he writes all these things saying that we have to have always one foot in the air <laughs> getting ready to move into where we're going. That one foot, yes, one foot is still here. Some people could take this out of context. I know for some of you, when I read this, your eyes probably popped open. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they do not. Did anyone's eyes kind of pop open? <laughs> what? <laughs> What's Paul trying to say here? He's saying not that we should neglect our responsibility as husbands and wives. And we know that why. Because in the beginning of this chapter, he already told, <laughs> he already told husbands and wives that they need to be for one another. And we have other letters that he wrote where he says the same thing. So Paul is not saying that we should neglect our roles 
and neglect the one foot we still have in this life. But he is saying, as you have this foot in this life, your perspective also needs to be that you're going to land. We're going somewhere next in which it won't even make sense that you're asking the question, how does marriage work? We're going into a, into a new world, a new, a new reality, a new existence in which all things will be made good. Those who mourn right now should live as if they did not, he says. Those who are happy as if they were not. Those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep. Those who use things of the world as if not engrossed in them. For this world in its present form is passing away. He says that in the beginning here, the time is short. The word for time here is a famous Greek word, kairos. You might have heard the word before in the Greek kairos. It means less like, what time is it? Let me tell you. Let me check my watch. It's less of the hour. And it's more the idea of a season of time, a time period, a time purpose. And Paul is saying that right now, this season has grown short that because jesus has come he he came with this message that he will come again and make all things new now the perspective for each one of us is that we're living in a season but the season naturally by its definition has a beginning and it has an end this mysterious moment in which all things change or as we see in the book of revelation when the lord comes and makes behold i make all things new jesus promises and so we're now in this season, in this kairos, in this period, and Jesus' message to us that now gets passed down through his followers in the early church and to us now today is that this season has this limit to it, that it will end. And there is so much goodness for us in that perspective. As good as it is to have husbands and wives, we know that things aren't perfect in all of our marriages. Things aren't perfect in our families. Yes, they're good. Their love, it, it's, it's one of the great joys of being with one foot still in this world. But in everything that you could bring up that you would find joy in, there's also this longing for it to be redeemed, for it to be made whole and complete. And the great blessing, the great goodness that we have in knowing that this is a season that Jesus promises actually comes to an end for each of us is that it means the limitations of this world, the limitations of the present, the limitations of this brief time, this, this kairos that we still have is going to pass. And for Christians, for you that want to follow Jesus, it's not just that you begin to learn how to deal with the grief of loss. For those who follow Jesus, it's not just that We've had a lot of loss in this past year, and for some people, it has even included the loss of loved ones. And when you lose a loved one, you have to go through the grief process. And there's this cycle in which you need to process now how you're going to continue to live now that you have, have had such a deep loss in your life. And what, what we see, uh, the, this understanding of Paul, it's not that it gives you a better way to process the loss. 
It's not that you simply have a better way to move forward in life as if Christianity were some added psychological advantage to your life. <laughs> no, the good news of the gospel is that when this kairos ends, Paul's trying to get us to see it's not just that the, the loss of divorce or, or, or the loss of, of losing a loved one or, or the loss of, of losing financial wealth. It's not just that you're going to better be able to deal with that loss. It's that all things are made new. It's that God promises all things will be redeemed. It will be as if that loss never happened. It will be as if that person that we lost, in fact, as God promises in the resurrection, that loss will no longer be there. Do you see the difference? It's not that the loss will remain and I've learned a better way to deal with it. The Christian hope is that that loss is, is becomes untrue and that it's been redeemed. That's why the church stands up and proclaims the good news of Jesus is because we want every single person, every single person living right now to be able to grab hold of, of such truth and perspective that we definitely still have one foot in this life, but we're picking it up the other one and moving it into somewhere in which there is redeeming and redemption and reconciliation the making new of all things it's not just a way to cope better with the loss it's actually God's promise that there will be no such thing anymore as as loss that there will be no more such thing as death itself and I know that for all of us there are things that we feel like have passed us by that we feel like we've lost in life it could be opportunities <laughs> It could be youth. It could be the life of someone we love. And for you and me, as we seek to proclaim the good news of Jesus, we get to offer the words of hope that all of these losses in the way that we're going to step into something new in the future now gets redeemed, now becomes made new again, or as the word we use in the church with such joy, there is the resurrection that God, it says, can call forth life from nothing. Or as we've been talking about since Christmas Eve, Jesus as this divine spark, the one who actually creates life itself. And so I think this gives us some joy now because we can appreciate better what we have now. I can enjoy the, the gift of being a father to my children, knowing that I don't have a lot of time, right? We have a kairos, we have a season, but also that there, I can be free to do my best I can be free to do my best without the anxiety of needing to be perfect, without the anxiety of needing to even complete the, the action itself. Because I know there's a time in which when I put my foot down in the future, as I enter into this promise of God that he is making, will make all things new, that at that time, even the actions that I have done that have not been perfect will be redeemed. I can, I can, I can already begin right now to celebrate what I, what I am and who I am. Not because of what I actually have been able to do or will be able to do, but because of how our Lord, our Father in heaven, is taking my own life and by this mystery, but by his will, will make it good for me and for others. And this is the good news of the gospel. That now we get to live, what Paul's trying to get us to say is that while we get to live with one foot in this world, but we all get to have one foot picked up and already moving into something else, and we get to already be celebrating that. We get to already be laying our hands and, and reaching out for it. So let us be the church that, that gets to proclaim this good news.
And may each of us here, may each of us here, my prayer is that you will put your faith in this, in this good news. That in Jesus, we have the promise that he is coming again, that he will make all things new, that he is redeeming all things, that he is reconciling all things to himself. And as we saw in the prophet Isaiah, we have been made white as snow. Let's pray. Well, Father, we're grateful that your, your promise to us fills us in such a way that we understand your goodness, that you are saving every, everything about us, that you are redeeming. You are our Savior. And that you guide us. You show us that we are moving on to something new and that we we can already look forward to that as, as we continue to be faithful in our relationships with another person or as parents or in the or faithful as we as we work for the betterment of this world. Lord, thank you for being our Lord, for showing us the way. Lord, our prayer as a church is that we would continue to be this open door for for anyone and everyone to to follow you as Savior and to follow you as Lord. To lay claim to a belief that you will come again. To lay claim on the belief that you, Jesus, were God's son. That you are the fullness of God in human form. And so the promises that you speak, the promises in which we hear Paul describing are for me. Lord, thank you that your spirit breeds faith, that your spirit spawns new life. And so for each of us, Lord, that are, are looking forward to faith, that are looking to latch on to faith. Lord, may your spirit speak within us now. Nudge our hearts to faith and stoke the fires. Lord, in your name we pray. In Jesus. Amen. Amen. We're gonna actually going to also move into our time of self-offering now. So we're going to be doing things a little different from here on with our services. We'll have the offerings uh, right here after the sermon. So in this time of the song we're going to have here, two things. One is moving into a time of reflecting on the word. And we know that nothing from God ever leaves without without accomplishing his purpose. And it's a call upon us every time that we hear a sermon. And so there is something that, that we have heard today from the Lord, something that within your own life needs a response. And I can't tell you what that is. I can, I can lead you to the door, but you're the one that has to open it. So use this time to, to unpack how is the Lord speaking to you today and what we've heard. And also that's part of your self-offering. Um, part of our offering is is financial contribution to what the Lord is doing. So we do have the plates here and online, you can do that. This is a time for us to offer ourselves to the Lord in every part of who we are.